recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Most of our listeners will remember Mike Stathis from our conversation here last November on Wall Street and the Jewish Mafia after Mike had released a video which he produced entitled How the Jewish Mafia Screwed You. Mike serves as the chief investment strategist of AVA, in AVA Investment Analytics, an investment research firm assisting hedge funds, endowments, financial advisors, and individual investors. He oversees all research and trading at the firm, including investment strategy, valuation analysis, market forecasting, risk, risk management, and distressed securities analysis. Prior to Apex Advisors, Mike worked at UBS and at Bear Stearns, focusing on asset management and merchant, ba merchant banking. He holds a Master's of Science in Biological Chemistry and Biophysics from the University of Pennsylvania, and he was formerly a National Science Foundation Research Fellow at UC Berkeley. The only financial expert who predicted the financial apocalypse which this nation has recently suffered, and, and the entire world really, in detail, Mike has been a valuable source of guidance for investors helping We wrote a book which, which forecast that collapse back in 2006. The accuracy of his predictions has positioned him as one of America's most insightful and creative financial experts. I would have to add that concerning the actual mechanizations behind the um, current economic climate, he's also one of the frankest, most open, and, and um, not a, most unafraid of identifying who the actual faces are behind that. Be behind the treachery going on in, in the economic world today. Many of Mike's articles are available at his website, www.avaresearch.com, and, and he also writes articles for various other websites. Mike, hello and welcome to Christogenia. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And tonight we're going to talk about um, the looting and pillaging of Greece by the international bankers, I believe is going to be the main thrust of our conversation. Let's do it. Okay, it's, it's your program. It, it's, um, I, I know you have a lot to say, so, so feel free to, to um, tell us what you think is going on in Greece today. Well, I guess the, you know, the message that I wanted to communicate, and of course, I specifically uh, contacted you because I wanted this message to get out it's not a message that is being communicated elsewhere, as far as I'm aware, certainly not being discussed by the media. Uh, it's important for people to understand what is truly going on in Greece because it uh, paints a picture for uh, much of what is going to happen to many countries in Europe, what has happened historically by the uh, IMF, the international bankers, and it ultimately affects what's going to happen uh, indefinitely if people do not wake up and realize that the international bankers are uh, extorting money, destroying economies, and they're uh, using the media, their control of the media, to paint a different picture. Now, for instance, um, I don't follow the media because I have things to do with my time that are higher yield, but uh, apparently, from what I've come across, the message has been delivered by the media that 
Greece is in economic problems because of, of, of their own doings. And this is simply not true. First of all, uh, Wall Street caused many of Greece's most recent problems, which you're probably familiar with, Goldman Sachs refinancing, so forth. In addition to that, um, Greece was fine before they entered the EU or the EMU, the uh, euro. Uh, but once they entered the uh, European Monetary Union, the euro, they were subjected to uh, a different type of standard, and that standard is basically the model that was created in the U.S., the so-called uh, capitalist model. So in other words, they put Greece into a cookie-cutter mold and said, here's what you've got to do. Well, of course, Greece has been operating quite nicely for centuries under their own system. All of a sudden, they're told to do this and they're told to do that. In addition to that, like many countries in Europe, uh, the uh, finance capital from Wall Street was transported to Europe, caused all these Europeans to take out all these loans, and that caused problems as well. So this is the problem that Greece is in now. Let me give you some other, other examples. Uh, some of the criticisms out there are that the Greeks don't pay their taxes. That's one of the reasons why they're in, in dire straits. Uh, the Greeks are not competitive. Their uh, trade is not open enough. And, of course, these are the same types of things that our Jewish-controlled uh, media is telling us about Italy and Spain and Portugal and so forth, right? Well, the fact is that these nations did quite well for centuries. And immediately upon entering the EMU, uh, even the International Monetary Fund, they wrote a paper uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, that they probably by accident admitted that upon entry into the EMU, the Southeast area European nations immediately began recording a current account deficit. So what they were saying is essentially they were screwed from the beginning. Now, I actually wrote a, uh, a piece in 2009, in the summer of 2009, ironically, um, whereby I said that the euro was not going to survive because of the sovereign sovereignty issues but also because of the economic issues and, and the, the example that I gave. And I actually um, uh, uh, released this excerpt in an article that I just released on the website uh, called uh, The Final Greek Tragedy, which goes over a lot of this stuff. In that, in that uh, uh, excerpt, I basically say that if you compare the infrastructure of two extremes in the EU, and that would be Germany, and I ironically used Greece, and I said, let's look at the road system. Germany has one of the most advanced road systems in Europe. Greece has one of the worst. So if you have a common currency, you can imagine that you're going to have enormous cost differences for food. You're going to have high labor costs because of the disparities in the infrastructure. And of course, the road system is just one example. You can look at the uh, the the uh, underground uh, sewage. You can look at uh, uh, the airlines, so forth. 
So the point is, is that if you're going to have a common currency, you have to have somewhat of a common infrastructure. Otherwise, you're going to see large disparities in uh, uh, the cost of living. And that's, that's precisely what happened. Um, so, well, well, don't you also, don't you also, the culture in Greece and Spain and Portugal and Italy are very different than they are in, in Germany and France, which are much more advanced industrial nations. I, I don't know how people that have dealt, have been dealing and, you know, living in basically what was a, a separate world can, can all of a sudden be plunged into um, parity with these advanced economies. They can't possibly operate on, on a parity with Germany and, and with Britain. And, and well, Britain's not really in the EMU yet, and, and with France. I, I don't see it. Well, of I course, as you, as you know, uh, you know, this has been the plan from the beginning of the EU, which is uh, one element of the globalization plan and that is to destroy all sovereignty, to weaken people's uh, sense of culture, race, religion, heritage, to make them essentially slaves, and to not have any identification uh, in terms of who they are, where they came from, and uh, to have a commitment towards their future. This is the plan, this is the part of the globalization that's, that, of course, the, the media and these establishment economists don't talk about. It's all being done to, of course, enrich uh, the corporate power structure, which includes, of course, Wall Street, <clears throat> international bankers. <clears throat> and we're seeing of, uh, right now, and I think, what was it, maybe two years ago, the uh, Lisbon Treaty, right? More and more you're seeing uh, the sovereignty uh, being compressed, being uh, vaporized in each of these nations. They're having more... Uh, centralized governing powers and this whole European debt crisis is uh, catalyzing even more efforts towards that you're hearing now about how the IMF and I I actually wrote uh, I, I published some quotes from some of the IMF research in the recent paper that I wrote discussing or hinting towards how they need to establish a more unified uh, uh, fiscal, budgetary, um, regu regulatory body. And so what that means is that, and this is where they're going towards, essentially you're going to have the governing body of the EU, is, every single country is going to have to have their budgets approved by this governing body. And what that means is that each country in Europe is going to be subject to a cookie-cutter approach. So as you can imagine, uh, some countries have different types of social transfers, different types of social systems, um, whereby, let's say, some countries are more generous with their social benefits. France is a good example. Um, but when you have a governing body that says, well, you can only allocate a certain amount of expenditures towards, let's say, unemployment benefits or pension benefits or health care or for the impoverished. What that does is it, it provides the, um, it's an economic way to also uh, destroy sovereignty because those allocations of expenditures are a reflection of each nation's ideals and uh, mor morals of how they want to treat people.
you see. And so this is a very, very troubling issue. Um, it's, it, it's, it's the final phase in the enslavement of the European people, in my opinion. Well, well it's, it seems to me that they have to force everybody into the same cultural paradigm in order to make this work, and, and that itself is evil. And, and that's also the Marxist principle. The Marxist principle is that man exists for the benefit of the state economy. And in reality, the state economy benefits or exists for the benefit of man. And, and that's how Greece and Spain and Portugal, the people of those nations, have um, historically treated their economies, right? That their economy exists for their benefit. So, so that's a, a Marxist principle which is being put in, into practice in, in today's reality. And, and that's evil in itself. And that's, I know that you didn't come to talk about philosophical principles, and that's okay. And in the past, your, your, your statement states that, um, in the past, your, your, I'm sorry, the paper that you've recently produced on, on the Greece, Greek sovereign debt crisis states that in the past we have discussed that the main purpose of the EU is to exploit low-income nations for the benefit of high-income nations like Germany and France. As the EU governing body anticipates defection of several member states in coming years, that are, do the, does the, are you sure that the EU governing body is actually anticipating that defection? Do you want to talk about that? Or, or, or it, I mean, it's obvious to a well, lot of us. A lot of us hope it happens, right? And, and we see that coming as a possibility, and, and we would really hope to see it. Well, I would say that of, of all the current uh, Eurozone uh, nations, uh, the Greeks have the best chance. They're the most independent. And of course, I'm sure you're a, a scholar of history. You know that the Greeks, the Greek Empire, uh, was a victim of its own people, right? They're so, like myself, being Greek, the Greeks are very independent-minded, and it was the the city-states, the independence, the uh, the internal conflict that ultimately toppled the Greek Empire. And so the Greeks, and of course the Greeks were kind of pushed into the EU. I believe at the time that the original um, member states were proposed, I believe the Greeks were the, the last holdout, were they not? Um, yes, I believe they were. Do, do you really so, think that... And I've heard this in the past, and I've repeated it myself, that Goldman Sachs actually cooked the books to get Greece into the EMU, that, that they actually manipulated the balance sheets in order to... Well, I don't know about them cooking the books to get them into it. That's, that's possible, but I do know for a fact, and this has even been um, written in the, the media, that Goldman Sachs was involved in some of the fraudulent refinancings that caused some of the initial problems with Greece. And they basically went to the officials and uh, they tried to hide some of these things. So Goldman was definitely involved. I don't know if that was um, prior to get them into the EU or not. I don't know if that was part of the, you know, the requirements, but it doesn't really matter. The, the, the way I see it, my perspective is that <laughs> once again, you have the international bankers that have defrauded uh, this country. And now you're seeing, the same bankers who have caused the problem, they are now, of course, they're using the International Monetary Fund, which is, which is their puppet, um, uh, forcing Greece to sell off some of its most vital public assets at pennies on the dollar, and of course, who's going to buy them? The 
international bankers. And uh, so it's a, it's a really uh, disturbing process. Now, in terms of, uh, as you quoted me, uh, anticipation as the uh, EU sees anticipation or anticipates the defection of some member states. You know, recently, um, as it would turn out, I think I came across something the other day. Uh, apparently, some establishment economists have mirrored my uh, my sentiment. I've read now where there are uh, many economists saying that they they feel that at least one, some of them say two, and I think one of them said five or more are going to leave. So that's um, kind of interesting. You've got the establishment guys who are puppets of these, this whole um, globalization ploy who are agreeing with me. I do think that um, they realize they don't want anybody to leave. And the reason why they don't want anyone to leave uh, is essentially because they don't want the bankers to lose money. That's, that's why. Uh, they don't want Greece to leave, not because it's going to disrupt the EU, but because they don't want the bankers to lose money on the debt. That's the only reason why. Now, so I think that they don't want them to leave, but I think you're going to see some defections. And this is why, of course, the EU continues to um, add to the pipeline of new candidates, right? Uh, Lithuania, Serbia, I believe Lithuania is set to join uh, next year, right? So you're going to see as we move through this whole uh, economic uh, catastrophe over the next several years, you're going to see lower income nations enter the EU. And it's going to be because they're going to be much easier to exploit by Germany and France. It's, it's, and, and I would like to talk more about Germany and France shortly. If, um, uh, well, your paper does a very good job, I think, at, at showing how the IMF has, in your own words, continued to severely underestimate projections for Greek debt, unemployment, and GDP in each of its reviews. And you also state that if the IMF had made more realistic projections up front, this would have increased the likelihood of Greek officials defaulting and exiting the EMU abruptly and permanently. So it seems like the IMF is definitely complicit in keeping Greece in the Eurozone. Right. Let me explain uh, that a little further. The IMF does what's called a review. Uh, when it has a country that's uh, facing economic problems, they go in, they're staffers, and they continuously review the situation. And so what has happened over a very short period of time, let's say about two years, they've done about five reviews. Probably the sixth is coming out now if it hasn't already. And each time they do the review, of course, this is tied to the contingencies of the uh, financing. So as long as Greece or any other nation that's under IMF uh, loans um, uh, uh, abides by the mutually agreed upon conditions, then they will continue to receive uh, the bailout money, the financing money. So they go through, and part of this process is reassessing the economy. Okay. Now, it's pretty shocking to me that you can have five reviews over a period of around two years, and the IMF has consistently missed uh, by huge numbers. It's my opinion that it's impossible. You have to understand that the IMF 
we're talking about thousands of very educated, highly trained individuals. I'm not, you know, particularly um, impressed by anyone trained in economics, to be honest with you. But let's face it, to make the kind of misses that they made, a vast amount of resources. The IMF has access to the most economic data of any organization. They get to look at all the books. They have thousands of staffers, uh, thousands of analysts, economists. For them to make these huge misses, it's pretty obvious to me. I'm not saying that, that all the staffers were in a conspiracy. I just believe that there's a few people at the top involved. And um, they did this intentionally because if they came out with um, more realistic forecasts from the beginning, then Greece would have said, wait a second. We're not going to we're not going to agree to this uh, plan, but by luring them in gradually, saying, "Well, you know, your economy is not so good. Um, let's let's work on this bailout solution." And then they come back for another review, say, "Well, things are getting worse," so forth. So they eventually come out and say, "Hey, you know, you guys are in deep trouble." They lure them into this privatization plan, and that's the key. If Greece uh, received from the IMF, more realistic projections from the beginning, the Greeks would never have agreed, even their puppet politicians would never have agreed to the privatization plan, which is basically the rape of Greece. And in that privatization plan, of course, they are being forced to sell off their many of their airports, their seaports, uh, their utility systems. And as you probably are aware, the Greeks now have to pay a special emergency property tax uh, that is tied to their electricity bill. If they don't pay it, the government shuts off their electricity. That's um, this property tax. Boy, I, I I don't mean to drag you off course, but there's property tax protests in Ireland going on right now, also, and that's. Um, I hope the people in Greece do oh. the same thing. Well, you, you know the property tax issue. You know I've. <laughs> It's amazing to me that people in America, you've got all these groups talking about ending the federal income tax, yet nobody talks about the biggest scam. The biggest scam in the world is property taxes. And the reason why you can, I'm not saying that federal income taxes are fine or they're not good, but what I'm saying is this, at least with federal income taxes, you're taxing individuals who have made an income. But when you put a property tax on a shelter, you may have paid for your mortgage, and you may be unemployed. You may not have a job for five years, and you've paid for that mortgage, and you, and you have the local government seizing your property, your shelter, because you don't pay a tax. There's no other asset that I can think of whereby you have to pay an annual percentage just to maintain ownership of that asset, even that you well, paid for it's a complete scam, and it, it essentially it essentially hits working and middle class individuals because they they have to pay this amount for. And of course, we don't really even own any property in America. That's another that's another absolutely. myth. So, well, well, that's absolutely is, true. The property tax is absolutely evil. I know I'm from New York. It, it's it's there, there's a huge disparity in America with property taxes, though, that because people with homes in 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 um. In, in the South, which are valued at many times more than my home is valued, 
pay far less in property taxes than right. I pay in New York. That's it's part just, of the scam. That's part of the scam is that people don't really understand. And, of course, I live in the state with the highest property taxes in the country, Texas. People don't know that. Texas, as a state, has the highest in the country. Um, but this is the scam that people don't realize because it's extraordinarily difficult for an individual to analyze um, what people are paying in property taxes across the country because each municipality has a different rate, right? They don't do it by state. So each different municipality. Now, there are places in New Jersey and New York and New Hampshire that have higher property taxes than in Dallas. But as a statewide, um, it's extraordinarily high in Texas. And there's also states, of course, that such as California, that uh, that and they have amongst the lowest property taxes in the country, their property taxes are based upon the original purchase price. Most places, as you're aware, it's based upon the annual appraisal value. And, of course, this creates another scam with these appraisal districts, <laughs> right? They, right? they artificially inflate the value of your property, you see? Well, well, absolutely. I have all sorts of problems. We should probably do a program on property taxes one night. Oh, I, I that'd be great. That you're, um, that, you know, you're, you're, you're. Uh, I hate to keep beating up the IMF, but, but, um, you, you wrote that ever since the IMF's first review of the standby arrangement in September 2010, and you've basically shown that the IMF has been consistently wrong about Greece. And, and I, and, 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 yet, you know, that you explained just now that that can't be a mistake, and I would agree, it can't be a mistake. What are the possibilities that Greeks' political leaders, I, I mean, they must have been installed by the bankers, that this Antonis Samaras, I, I don't know if you, you can talk about him, but he's, a, um, he's an economist with a Harvard MBA, and, and he's well, the prime minister of Greece now. Let me just say that, I, you know, if I were to sit here and, and say that, and I think many people probably in my position would, because I know... Uh, I, I have an understanding of the landscape of the people who, who speak. They typically don't know what the heck they're talking about. They just want to give uh, conspiracies and drama. But So if I were to sit here and say that um, these guys were all installed, I would, be, you know, I, I would be a liar or I would be naive. I don't know that. I do know this. Whether or not they were installed by the bankers or they were um, taken over by the bankers, it doesn't matter. I think that personally they've been bought out once they got into office. Now, this individual you mentioned, I don't know much about him, but from what you mentioned, him being at Harvard, I can tell you right now, anybody that goes to Harvard, <laughs> they're, they're, once they, they're already part of the establishment. And that's pretty much true. I, shouldn't, I should probably be careful how I say this because, you know, I went to an Ivy League school. It's pretty much the same with all the Ivy Leagues. However, you know, keep in mind, I studied chemistry, <laughs> um, so I was in a different well, world. But that's right. kind of the way it works because it, you understand the power structure of the Ivy League institutions, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, it, well, well I'm familiar with the, um, the privatization of, of Russia and how that was done by Harvard University under, uh, under um, the Yeltsin administration. And 12 any, Jews end up, ended up owning the whole country. Anybody that, that comes out of Harvard, I think it's wise to, especially if they have studied um, – policy, um, um, economics, anything like that, international relations, you have to automatically assume or suspect that they have been in some way, shape, or form hijacked or bought off by the establishment because Harvard is really 
the leader of producing establishment individuals who are supportive of our fascist government and our fascist economy and the whole globalization baloney that's been sold to Americans. And they continue to sell it today. You'll notice they keep saying, uh, you know, they keep warning against protectionism, right? <laughs> protectionism is what America needs. Protectionism is what helped us during the first depression that we were in. Um, well, well, absolutely. And, and I understand your term of the use of fascism, but I think it's a, a I think that Mussolini right. and, and, and the fascism of Hitler wasn't, was ideal. It was a wonderful situation compared to the Talmudic fascism that we're, we're living under today. Right. I think we had this discussion, maybe it was off air before, um, in terms of there's obviously different interpretations of fascism. My interpretation right. is, is more of a um, vile, uh, toxic, whereby there's not a overall benefit to the, the nation. Mine is, is, is a more strict definition of corporatism, exploitation, rule by the corporations and exploitation right. of the consumers. So right. I think that, seems we, to be, that seems to be the idea of fascism that's prevalent in, in the, um, the anti-establishment mainstream. Uh, I'm not going to oh, argue. Without a doubt. Without a, that, 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 that's, that's the whole uh, foundation of the globalist agenda. Well, well, absolutely. I, I, you know, your your papers por- portray a very bleak economic outlook for all of Europe for the next, uh, I think, maybe the next six years. You're talking about recessions through 2016, right? Well, actually, I think um, I, I provided a link in um, one of the previous articles. Um, it's called. Uh, I wrote this in the one of the newsletters in uh, J- January of 2010. And it was called Europe's Deflationary Future. And I basically laid out uh, a minimum of 10 years of a lost, lost decade of Europe. And that's the very minimum. For Greece, the establishment economists are looking at about 12 years for Greece to reestablish its um, pre-recession GDP, which, of course, this is, Greece is going on its sixth year of recession. Um, my own estimates are optimistically 18 years and probably 20 years. So Europe is, is, is going to face many, many years of deflation. Now, the U.S. is not going to face that. And the reason why is because of the Federal Reserve has this ability to print money. And the reason why they have this ability to print money, and the only reason why, is because of the dollar oil link. If they did not have that, then the U.S. would be in a similar situation. So, and that's why, by the way, the Federal Reserve is essentially bailing out Europe and the ECB, and they have been, um, because we're, we're, at, we're able to print this currency, and instead of experiencing a commensurate level of inflation in the U.S., we actually export inflation. And this is why, by the way, when... Uh, the Economic Recovery Reinvestment Act was passed in February of 2009 when Obama uh, entered office. Um, That's why you saw the whole globe pass their economic stimulus because if they did not do that, it would have caused inflation in those countries. So the point behind that is that when we see another economic stimulus package passed in the U.S., and we will probably after the next election, I would say, um, once we see that, you're going to most likely see uh, 
the globe pass another round of economic stimuli. And of course, that has investment implications for a variety of reasons. Now, now part of your analysis of Europe and, and part of the reasons for this extended recession, from what I've seen, are, are um, due to population changes and the aging of the population and, and the decrease of children and people in the workforce. It, and I would tie that to this sudden demand by, the, by all of Europe's Jews and by all of Europe's bankers for open borders and more immigration. I mean, the bankers are basically demanding that Europe import 25 or 50 million people from Africa and, and Asia. And, and they're doing exactly. that as we speak. You know, is, is that part of a bailout program for the bankers? Do they see that as, as a, um, do they really see that as a benefit to the European economy and, 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 and um, as adding to the ability of Europe to avoid this extended recession? It's, it's part of the globalization plan. You know, I, I kind of look at it as a, as a kind of a, 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 um, a two-pronged uh, mission. You've got the economic aspect, and then you have the societal aspect. So, in other words, you've got Wall Street involved for the economics and the globalist agenda, and then you also have the policymakers involved. So, in other words, and I, I wrote about this in America's Financial Apocalypse. In America's case, I talked about how um, Washington for many years has, has allowed illegal aliens to enter the country as one of the means by which to help offset our declining living standards. Uh, so you've got that economic aspect, right? Now, you also have the societal aspect. As you know, this relates to multiculturalism, right? And, of course, multiculturalism ultimately relates to the economic aspect because <clears throat> the more you, you import or actually they're providing financial incentives for individuals from the third world to come to these countries, right? They're not just saying, hey, you know, you should try, you should come and uh, immigrate here. We're gonna... They're actually providing financial incentives, especially in Europe and Canada, huge financial incentives for people from the third world. I spoke to an individual at 7-Eleven the other night, and um, I asked him, I said, you know, how long did it take you to get your citizenship? He said, six months. And then I told him, I said, do you understand that that is extraordinary? Do you understand that it takes people typically numerous years? He said, no, I didn't know that. I said, well, I happen to know a Filipino doctor. He and his family, for 20 years, he practiced medicine in America, in New Jersey. And he has his green card. That's all he has. And he just recently got it. He was shocked to hear this. And this individual happened to be from Ethiopia, and he told me, he said, you know what, I was making more money in Ethiopia. I was a researcher. I was respected. I was published in scientific journals. And I said, don't you understand what's going on? They're using you. They're using you as a slave to come here, and they're also using you as part of the agenda to, to diminish the white European political power. So, and he told me already, he'd already decided he's, he's leaving, he's going back to Ethiopia. And I, I, I commended his decision. I said, hey, you know what? You've been here for seven months. You realize this now. There's many people who, who stay here and think that they're going to 
um, 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 uh, improve their situation for many years, and they don't realize it. Uh, and I told him that, you know, even in the Apocalypse book I wrote in 2006, I wrote in there that according to official data, America was second only to Mexico as far as developed nations in terms of the nation with the worst ability to improve your economic situation. Already, before this economic collapse, America was just above Mexico. People don't know this. Immigrants from around the world, they, they all want to come here, and they think that this is the land of opportunity. <laughs> Let me tell you, America is the land of opportunity if you want to engage in criminal activity and fraud. That's where the opportunity is. That's it. Well, well, the Jews sure as hell saw that opportunity in the 1920s and 30s and took full advantage of it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you, you look at the, you look at the, um, you, you just look at over the past few decades, you look at the um, uh, progression of, for instance, you can look at Wall Street. One of the worst things, in my opinion, was allowing Main Street to trade stocks, right? You you put you basically you get the media involved and you get CNBC. You got these girls with their boobs popping out, right? And of course that affects the pleasure center of the brain, causes people to um, have more of a gambling mentality. It, it, it causes people to gamble. They don't know what they're doing. It puts more dumb money into the market, and so you have people that don't know what they're doing. Wall Street's taking their money, and the whole system. Wall Street's all rigged. <laughs> people don't understand. There's so much insider trading going on, but people are seeing this as a way. They're looking for any way to make money because there's no more stable job opportunities in this country. They're fading very fast. eBay, remember uh, back in the uh, dot-com recession in 2001, everyone was going to eBay, becoming eBay sellers. Do you remember that? Yes, they were. Right? People actually and thought then, they could make careers out of it. Of course, exactly. And What's happened over the past few decades with the lottos? Look now with the lottos. Everyone wants to gamble, right? All the casinos all over the place, right? We have a huge uh, – America is truly casino capitalism. This is the opportunity. Infomercials, right? You've got all these guys – you've got guys now telling you that you can become a millionaire flipping real estate. So this is – as you have fewer opportunities in this country because – uh, Washington has sold out uh, to the corporate interests. Job exportation continues at massive rates. There are becoming fewer and fewer opportunities for, for people in this country. And in my opinion, corporate America is guilty of economic treason. There's no doubt about that. In the past, several decades ago, there was a symbiotic relationship with uh, American workers and corporate America. But that, that relationship was severed, and now it's all about corporate profits, and it has been for quite a while. We look now, we're, we're, we're in a depression. There's no doubt about that. And I'll be actually releasing a piece that um, over the next several days that, that, that gives facts, and I'll send you that early if you would like. It's, it's called Evidence of a Depression, and it goes through and, and talks about all these facts. Um, um, but... Uh, the point is, is that we are in a depression, yet corporate profits are at record highs. Corporate profit margins are at record highs. How is this possible? With all of this unemployment, with all of this misery, 
yet corporate profits are at record highs, corporate profit margins are at record highs. The reason why is because corporate America is hiring. They're just not hiring in America. The little hiring they are doing in America is for people to flip burgers. You see, this is why 90% of the jobs, and I wrote about this a few years ago, 90% of the jobs are not coming back. It was the same situation after the dot-com bubble imploded. Those jobs did not return because when these bubbles implode, it accelerates the effects of our unfair trade system. It it accelerates those effects, and those effects of our unfair trade system are essentially exporting jobs in entire industries over to the developing world and the emerging world. So the the, uh, uh, benefactors of this globalization scam have been the corporate elite, the uh, 5% of Americans, of course, mostly the 1%. And also, though, it's been the Chinese workers, the Indian workers, the Brazilian workers, all at the expense of... uh, the, the working and middle class Americans, and this well, is a well, huge they'll problem. Never make a, they'll never make middle class consumers out of the Chinese and Brazilian workers. I'm convinced of that. It, it's it's all sheer exploitation, and that's oh, their only sorry. purpose. Can, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? I don't think that they will ever make middle class consumers okay. out of, and and that's the pipe dream that was sold in in the right. 1970s. They'll never make middle-class consumers out of Brazilian and Chinese workers. I don't think it was ever their intention. It's all sheer exploitation. I think that actually in Brazil, they're, pretty, they're, they're coming very close to that. The Brazilian consumers are tapped out. They're spending pretty well. China is different. Now, interestingly, the IMF continues and it's not just the IMF. Whenever you hear something from the IMF, it's basically an echo from our whole establishment. So they continue to push the Chinese. If you if you look at their research, they keep saying they keep saying, well, the the the, the Chinese consumers they need to spend more. They need to uh, generate more domestic demand because actually the the Chinese consumer over the past uh, 15 years has actually. Um, They've decreased their spending. And uh, so, of course, the Jewish bankers, anytime they invade a country, the first thing they get them to do is to spend more money because that generates more money for for corporate America, buy our goods, and then it taps their savings out so they can can make money off the interest. And this is what happened to Europe. Uh, I knew this was going to happen once, once the Wall Street consumer credit markets were, were transported to Europe. This is what we've seen. And by the way, I don't think we've seen uh, the full blow up, the blow up of the consumer credit markets in Europe. I think we're going to see a massive blowout. I don't know when, maybe 20 years from now. But this, because this is not, this was not a complete blowout of the consumer credit markets. It was um, um, largely, depending upon the country, due to um, real estate. Um, but we haven't seen a complete implosion of the credit market yet because I don't think that they're mature enough. I we're going to reading, eventually... I, I'm sorry. I remember reading a Wall Street Journal article about 10 years ago which explained or, or which really complained about the German people not borrowing and buying things on consumer credit. That, <laughs> that, they, that they were crying about that. They were whining about it that right. the German people 
bought everything with cash that they earned and didn't buy things on consumer credit to help the global well, economy. Well, you know, it's interesting. The, of course, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, Germany, up until recently, Germany actually progressed through this uh, economic collapse quite well uh, during you know, post-financial crisis period after 2008. Germany uh, surprised uh, the establishment. They did very well. Uh, they recovered actually beyond pre-crisis uh, levels in terms of the economic data. And one of the reasons why was because upon entry, or I guess the commencement of the euro in 1999, uh, in general, the uh, southeast area European nations um, they were spending all this money. They had access to credit. Of course, you know, in Europe, uh, prior to the euro, you couldn't mortgage, you couldn't buy a house on mortgage. You had to have cash for the most part, most places, right? But all of a sudden, they could, you know, they could buy a house with mortgages, and they had all these credit cards. So you had all of this uh, gluttonous consumerism that was transported uh, using the business model that Wall Street and corporate America created in, in this country, in the United States. Meanwhile, Germany was not doing that. Germany was using the enhanced uh, credit markets to actually retool their economy. They were improving their infrastructure so that they could compete with Asia. And as a result, it was the German export uh, trade that, that uh, enabled the German economy to actually have a very robust uh, recovery. So, in essence, the Germans were spending their money wisely. Meanwhile, uh, many of the other nations in Europe were, were uh, going through an um, irresponsible uh, credit orgy. And that kind of explains why Germany um, you know, has, has done very well since that, that crisis. Well, well, that leads me to to, to ask and, and to inquire, you know, I did a program entitled European Misunion with Carolyn Yeager back um, not long, probably around the same time that we had our last program together. And I had expressed concern then, and, and your work has also pointed this out uh, and, and, and documented it a lot better than I could document it. But, but the, the, um, the, the banks would actually that they cannot get the German taxpayers on the hook now for debt elsewhere in Europe under the Treaty of Maastricht. And, and you explain that in, in, your, in your papers. But they would like to do that, and, and, these, and, and they're putting more and more political pressure on the other European nations to have um, like the European stability mechanism and things like that put in place to rope all of the taxpayers of Europe into being responsible for the debt in some of these nations which are possibly going to default. And, and that, to me, would be the total enslavement of the European people if, if they were able to do that. I, I thought you might want to talk about that. Well, you know, I think the, the total enslavement is here. This is, the, this is the final phase. Now, in terms of, um, you know, the uh, European banks bailing out uh, these nations, What's going on right now is they're using a backdoor approach. Um, they're basically using uh, the Federal Reserve and Wall Street. It's a backdoor approach that's going. On. That's that's what's going on. So it's not apparent. 
they're not they're not doing it directly. The the, the banks are not um, the European banks are not bailing out uh, Europe directly, but there's kind of a backdoor approach going on. It's kind of complicated. So there is essentially the U.S. is bailing out Europe, and I'm sure as you're aware, um, during the financial crisis in 2008. Uh, the U.S., the Federal Reserve, uh, through guarantees and other forms of of payment and credit, uh, sent about I think over twenty trillion dollars. Trillion dollars. Yeah, twenty five trillion dollars over to over to Europe. So you can imagine wow. what they're doing. I didn't now. realize. I didn't realize it was any near anywhere near that figure. I, I knew it but, was several. Well, I think uh, according to the. Um, uh, I think the uh, what is it the the bailout inspector general Borkovsky, and this was this was even printed in the media. He he reported that uh, it was 32 trillion dollars to the Federal Reserve total in terms of the U.S. financial system in Europe. Most of it was through Europe. 32 trillion. So and one you know one thing that uh, of course you're not hearing from the media anyone. And this is, you know, this is why I keep telling people: you think that these guys coming on TV who are griping about the banks are on your side? Trust me, anybody that's in the media, they're bought off. They're a bunch of con artists. Because when do you hear someone? When do you hear these guys say, "Wait a second, why aren't the bankers in jail?" Wait a second, right. these low interest rates are are stealing money from the pension plans. Low interest, these low interest rates that we have are causing the public and private pension plans in the U.S. and Social Security to become unfunded. The banks are stealing money from the pensions. And the reason why is because any time interest rates are low, excessively low, um, or pretty low for an extended duration, and of course we have both of those characteristics, right? We have record low interest rates now for four years. Anytime you have a, a low level of interest rates, that causes pension plans to become unfund, underfunded, um, you know, I don't want to go into as to why, but it's, it's it's a known fact. And so, essentially, so we need to ask the question: Why are interest rates low? Is it because it's helping our economy? Are the banks lending to people? Of course not. The banks are taking that money that they're getting essentially free, and they're speculating. They've been speculating in Brazil, and of course, up until about a year ago. Uh, the short-term interest rates in Brazil, Brazilian banks were paying 12% interest, right? Uh, they're also buying U.S. treasuries. So if you owned a bank, you'd be getting money from the Federal Reserve, essentially as much as you wanted, at essentially no cost, okay? And you could take that money, and if you didn't want to take any risk whatsoever, you could just buy U.S. treasuries and collect the spread, right? You right. could buy... You see what I'm saying? This is why the ye Treasury yields are at record lows. The Treasury yields are at unbelievable low, and, they can, and they're going to go lower. They're going to go much lower. The reason why they're so low, and of course this has an impact on – this has the interest rates or yields in Treasuries, this has a huge impact on people's retirement funds, on, on many things. It's, it's a way – it's a kind of a way of financial trickery that the common person – that lacks the sophistication in this area does not understand. It's essentially robbing people's retirement plans. I guess a simple way to think about it is the following. As you can imagine, we have inflation that is higher 
than is being reported. Now, I don't want people to think that this, the, the numbers reported by John Williams of Shadow Stats is valid because they're not. The guy's in the, He's a gold-pumping extremist. But we do have higher inflation than, it, than is being reported. As a result of that, that means that your buying power is being reduced because you put your money in the bank and what are you getting? Nothing. They're not giving you any money, right? They're not paying you any interest. So if you can think of it that way, it's a very simple way. This is kind of um, the way that the, the banks are stealing money from pension plans, and it's not being discussed. And the reason why we have these low interest rates is to shore up the balance sheets of the banks. This is the biggest banking bailout that is not being discussed. It's a huge banking bailout, and no one is talking about it because it's coming, it's coming at the expense of the retirement plans of the American people. Well, well, it seems to me to be even more involved than that. The banks are actually printing all the money they want, and, and they're gambling with it, and, and they're screwing anybody that's trying to save money and, and, or, or people with, with, with savings. And, and then on the other hand, and your paper also pointed out that a lot of the inflation, even though we do have more inflation that's being re- that, than what is being reported, a lot, there should be a lot more inflation if the dollar weren't the currency for oil and and for um, many of the well, many of the commodities and because of that you point out that China and Brazil and um, you pointed them out specifically are, are absorbing a lot of our inflation but anybody that's buying oil has and and that includes Europe is absorbing a lot of our inflation right right you know that that's the key the key to the whole game of this whole global domination is the backing of the dollar by oil. And this is the, this is the reason why these, um, uh, these excessively uh, toxic relations that we have with Israel threatens our economy. Because Israel provides us with no value whatsoever. There's nothing that Israel has for us that's a value. So when we continue to support through taxpayer money and through uh, all of these uh, policies, are the wars, we continue to support Israel, fight wars for Israel, this upsets the Muslims. This upsets ultimately the Saudi people, not the royal family. The royal family is in our, you know, they're, they're bought off by, by uh, the Jews that the run, the run the, the U.S. and Europe. But this essentially, if, if, if the Saudis were to decouple the dollar, if they were to um, start asking for, say, a basket of, of different currencies to, to, to sell their oil, all of OPEC would follow suit and the U.S. economy would collapse uh, indefinitely. Now, this, of course, is the reason why we invaded primarily, but not exclusively, why we invaded Iraq, because Saddam in the year 2000 began selling oil for the euro. And this is also why, of course, uh, primarily, but not exclusively, once again, uh, they're trying to invade Iran, because Iran has been selling their oil for uh, other currencies, and currently, as a matter of fact, due to the sanctions, international sanctions on Iran, Iran is actually trading their oil, in, in, many, in many cases, say, uh, per se, India, let's say, uh, for goods, for agricultural goods. So they're bartering for their oil. So because these Iran, Iraq, they understand 
the Arabs understand the easiest way to hurt the Zionist or Jewish-controlled America is to sever this link with the dollar and oil. That's the key that controls everything. And, of course, you're not going to hear this being discussed in the media at all. Because if, if Americans understood that, that the Saudis really control our economy, trust me, China does not control our economy. And this is what people have been told. It's the Saudis that run our economy. I would say, uh, if, you, if you want to compare China versus the Saudis, I would say the Saudis run our economy by 80% or 90% even, uh, despite the fact that they don't really hold many of our treasuries. Uh, China is still very dependent upon the U.S., very dependent. Um, so the Saudis, either way, they win because we're always going to need oil, the whole world. And even if we don't buy any oil from Saudi Arabia, that doesn't matter. What matters is that you have to have a dollar to buy oil and all commodities around the world. And that's, well, that's well, right. really... And that was set up with the Arab oil embargo in the 1970s, which was probably all a big dog and pony show. Right. And um, the Saudis, as far as I'm concerned, have to be controlled by the Rothschilds. That they have to be controlled. Oh, there's, there's no doubt. When you're talking about, you know, elites that high up, it's just like the Democrats and Republicans who, you know, they grandstand in front of the camera. They pretend like they hate each other. But when the cameras shut off, these guys go out, they go have dinner, they have drinks, and they share prostitutes. It's the same with these Jewish and Muslim uh, elites at the top. You understand? They, 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 these guys are all friends because what bonds them is the power and the money. And so they get the people, you know, they get the people below them to, you know, to, 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 have a, to, to, to fight for their causes and so forth. And they're just kind of laughing at the top. There's well, well no I'm, certain that, I'm certain that if Saudi Arabia fell into, in, into actual opposition Muslim hands, that there would probably be an invasion of Saudi Arabia tomorrow. I, I mean, there's no doubt that well, the, um, all of those Arab oil sheiks were actually put into place by the British bankers and right after World War, World War I. It, but, part, see, the part of the, the, the negotiations when Nixon, you know, it's funny how Nixon, you know, the guy is always trash, but he actually, you can look at it positively or negatively, um, he's responsible for creating this credit-based economy that we have. Now, some may say that's bad, some may say that's good. I, I don't know where we would be without that, right? Could we be in a worse situation or better? I don't know. But as part of those agreements, he basically told the Saudis, if you start selling your oil for the dollar, we will protect the royal family against uprisings. And this is why throughout the years – uh, Saudi Arabia has uh, been in violation of numerous uh, religious freedom uh, rights, human rights, and so forth, things that would have placed another nation on U.S. sanctions, economic sanctions, right? But we've never done that. It's because they run the show, and they know it. The Saudis know it. And this is why there's not... Now, the Saudis also know if, there's, if there were... Any serious discussion that was being made about selling their oil for something other than the dollar, they know 
that the U.S., Washington, would send ballistic missiles there overnight. They know this. There's, there's, there's no doubt about it. And this is, of course, once again, it's, it's important for people to know this because once you're aware of how the game is played, it really changes the geopolitical landscape and makes people question to what extent these uh, relations that we have with Israel, you know, how much harm they're doing to our economy. Uh, this is, you know, in addition to, of course, all of the uh, humane considerations and the violations of, of, of Geneva Code and UN resolutions that are going on in Palestine with the Palestinians. I'd like to talk about something that, um, that, that we haven't discussed, and, and that's, you know, reading your paper this afternoon, I saw a mention of the movie the big picture, which was a video presentation you put out in 2011. Can I ask about that? Is that available? Can, can I hear about what, what it entails? Would you mind doing that? Um, I've done so many videos. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what that one covers. I believe that one, it's actually not a bit. It's actually restricted for subscribers, but I believe what that discussed was, um, well, well, I have the I, I have the synopsis here if if that'll help you remember. Oh, go ahead. Says, yeah, please. In, in the 2011 video presentation entitled "The Big Picture," we discussed the controversy of allowing investors and banks to determine the fate of entire nations through speculation of securities and other activities. Now, you'll probably understand why I feel it's so pertinent to our discussion, right? In short, we feel this mechanism must come to an end and you're talking about that speculation and that banking mechanism. Japan understands the importance of determining its own destiny. This is specifically why 95% of its sovereign debt is financed internally. And that's a, um, well, well the, the Japanese are probably a little smarter economically and, and than most nations are today if they're holding 95% of their own debt, right? But, but, I'd like to talk about how, what you presented, maybe perhaps what you presented in that movie pertaining to the ending or, or how you feel that that must come to an end. Because the world's being controlled by an oligarchy or an oligarchy, which rules over a tightly interlocked central banking system. So how do you figure that the mechanism by which the fate of these economies it is now decided could come to an end, and, and that's what I'd like to ask about that, and perhaps you can explain that. Right. Well, yeah, essentially, now that I recall, that, was a, um, that wasn't the theme of the video. That was kind of as a side note. Most of it was like an analysis. I believe I was talking in that video, and this is kind of important. Um, I wanted to emphasize that, um, that England, the, the banking system in England, is extraordinarily important. It's not that large compared to the U.S., but England actually serves as the global capital of liquidity. All financial transactions go through England, by the way. And this is why you want to keep a close eye on England. Because if something, a major bank fails in England, you're talking about a huge problem. Because of, but, but anyway, I made that point towards the end. It's kind of a side note. And, you know, looking at this whole situation, you, you have to wonder, and by the way, Getting back to Japan, you mentioned, you know, if you look at Japan, well, what do you see? You see America uh, 100 years ago, right? You see a homogenous nation. You see a nation, people with family values, a strong family unit, right? Do you see multiculturalism in Japan?
Well, well, no, you don't see multiculturalism in Japan. They actually treat the 400,000 or so Koreans who live there as in lower class, which I don't think still has voting rights, and that's the way it should be. I think we got cut off. I think Mike had a problem with his Skype. Yeah, he's uh, cut off. I'll, he comes back on. I'll uh, unmute him. Okay, Mike. Thank you. It, it's um. Well, well, Japan, the entire world situation with Japan is pretty hypocritical because nobody is talking about um, the Korean underclass there that doesn't have the same rights that Japanese citizens do. That that's strangely missing from the mainstream media and nobody's talking about um, forcing Japan to accept Somalis and Ethiopians and all these other third world derelicts that, that um, the United States and the European countries are being forced to accept. So, so there's a lot of hypocrisy in the world politics. It's, it's, um, clear to me that um, Mike Stathis, he, he's a bright guy, he's a very good investment analyst and, and strategist, and that's what he does, and we can't expect him to have the entire picture that we have in, in 2C line Christian identity concerning race and culture and the Jews. That's not what he's about, but, but it's very valuable having him here and, and informing us as to what is going on in, in, in the global banking scene. And, and that, I think, is it, it's important that we understand economics, and it's important that we understand the beast, and, and then we can evaluate better um, what these things are all about and, and where we're headed and, and um, keep ourselves informed of what our enemies are doing to us, even though we know the big picture and, and the biblical prophecy and, and how everything is going to pan out in the end, and that's more important. Mike, who's that from North New Jersey? Is that somebody, is that Mike or is that somebody else? Hello? Hello. Yeah. Uh, Mike. Are you there? I got disconnected. Well, welcome Hi. back. Yeah, yeah. Skype drops sometimes, right? It just drops. It yeah. happens to me all the time. Well, well, so I guess what I was saying basically is that you look at, you know, when we had Hurricane Katrina, you saw all the looting, right? And so I think that for anyone who doesn't understand, and probably your audience understands fully the the um, the problem with multiculturalism and what it's doing to our society, you can just look at Asia, and you will see not only this uh, sense of of, of of unity, solidarity, and uh, uh, moral uh, uh, recognition, but you also see, for instance, you look at America spends so much money on education, and yet it's so terrible, right? Well, look what they spend in China. It's, it has to do with the cultural aspects. The you know. So, but anyway, <laughs> that, let me let me address the issue that you initially raised, and that is, of course, um, I feel that any country uh, should not the, the 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 sovereign debt or government debt of all nations should not be subject to Wall Street financing. 
And the reason why is because there's so much speculation these days. You've got all these vulture capitalists, all these vultures, these hedge funds going in. And I happen to know several of these guys who are going in and they're shorting. They're taking short positions, betting on, and thereby helping to increase the chance of default, of problems. They're, they're contributing to the problem. So there needs to be, at the very least, a different mechanism for government debt because essentially it enables external forces, and that would be the Wall Street bankers, uh, the, the institutional investors, to ultimately determine the fate of entire nations. And this is what we're seeing. So it's shocking to me that no one has come forward and proposed that there's a completely different system. And the Japanese, they you know, they know this. The Japanese experienced a huge problem uh, some 20 years ago with their bubble. And ever since that time, uh, they've been in a deflation, but they have also um, come together and helped finance their government debt. And that's why they're not uh, as in a big of a problem as you might hear in the media. That, you, know, you, you hear in the media how much their debt is so huge. But the reality is that as long as the Japanese people um, refinance the debt, then there's not really a problem in terms of that aspect. The problem you hear in the sovereign debt situation is that you have external financing going on. So, and you also have um, the maturity of the debt, when the debt is due. And by the way, England actually has the, the highest amount of debt in the world, total debt per GDP. But you don't hear about England having oh, a sovereign well. debt problem. And the reason, and the reason why... I'm well, sorry. the reason why is because the average maturity for English government debt is 13 years, you see, whereby you're hearing about Greece and Italy and Spain. They need to refinance over the next one, two, and three years. So England has more time, you see. So, England's been under the sum of the Rothschilds the longest, too, right? It's, you know, it's a philosophical issue as much as it is, it is an economic one. It's not one I had planned on talking about, that there is a way to... Um, to, to for, for governments to operate debt-free, and that's just to print their own money. Uh, I mean, it can be done. It's been done before. It's worked before. It worked in Nazi Germany, and, and it worked very well in, in, in Nazi Germany. And, and it is... Well, that's, that's, that's why we had the uh, American Revolution, isn't it? To, uh, to well, get away from the... Right? Well, well, yes, it is, and that's why Andrew Jackson, I mean, that, through the sec, second they bank... Don't that. No, they don't. They don't teach that in the school system, right? But that's that's essentially why Americans fought England was to get away from that system. Well, well, right. It's the only answer, and and it's the only correct answer that I, in my opinion, and and it's the answer that we'll never um, have in this world because in, in this age, because it's the answer that the Jews don't want to hear, and and that's, that's right. That, that that's the bottom line. Yeah. The answer. And everybody again, that brings it up is is assassinated. Every politician that attempts it is killed. And that's that, that's even Ron Paul doesn't dare go there. Once again, then, it's 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 about the globalization. So global when you hear globalization, think destruction of sovereignty. And so what you're speaking about would be possible if nations were allowed to 
maintain their sovereignty. But the the international bankers want to have a completely connected economic and financial system because it's easier for them that way to exploit individuals and countries. So could we have this system that you're talking about? Of course we could. But it's very difficult. You're not going to have it in the West. You know, Asia right now is able to have this system. China, their currency is not even on the international currency exchange yet, but it's going to be. Um, and, and I can tell you this, China's going to regret it once their currency uh, is subject to the vultures. Um, well, well, it's not well known, good... but China, China does have a Jewish problem, and they do have a central bank, and the Jews will control that central bank. Right. Well, the Rothschild Bank is already in China. China is already um, – they've already set themselves up for eventual uh, uh, destruction because – China has become so dependent on capital inflows, on Wall Street money. So, as you can imagine, uh, the Jewish bankers have already got their hooks into uh, many of the uh, elites in China, you know, the, the, the brand new billionaires, you know. And so I think essentially what's going to happen is because, of course, the current ruler of China, they don't want to let go of their culture and their you know, the way that they run things. But I think you're going to see eventually as these guys die off, it's going to enable the bankers to get one more step into the door because they already have planted the foundation. And um, I think that it's only a matter of time before China is really uh, completely ruled by the bankers. They're, they're already there now, but it's, they're still uh, keeping them at a distance. That's interesting. It's um. I know there are other things that you wanted to talk about tonight that we didn't get an opportunity to. I mean, we could take the opportunity that the gold bugs and the gold scare and, and the fear that, that most of the alternative media likes to keep people in so that they could um, play on their emotions and sell them gold and silver and all their coins and trinkets. And if you want to um, talk about that for a few minutes before we end the program, I, I'd be more than willing to. Uh, I mean, it's, it's um, you know, I see people tied up all the time in the Alex Jones mindset that they have to stockpile gold. And I know that if indeed the economy crashes, and it will eventually, I, I believe it will eventually, I don't know how long it's going to be, gold is going to be one of, a paperweight. It's going to be absolutely useless to most people. But, but well, let, me just of, go ahead, let me just go ahead and say right now, you have access to all of my articles. Um, I would encourage you to just type gold in the search bar. Take every gold article that I've written in numerous pages, and you're free to republish them on your site so that everyone can read the reality, the truth about gold. Um, I recommended gold in my book in 2006 when it was about $600. I was recommending gold when I was still working on Wall Street in the beginning of the gold bull market in 2001. So it's not like I have this detest for gold. Um, Yet, when I saw the manipulators come out, the Glenn Becks, the Alex Joneses, and, pump, and, and create all these rumors and myths about gold and all the Peter Schiffs and all these individuals, all who stand to make money from gold, right? I said, you know what? We're be we're, it's becoming a bubble now. They're getting all the, the Joe Main Streets involved. They're scaring them with panic, and they're, giving them, they're feeding them lies. And 
you're not going to ever hear a credible Wall Street professional come out and say, buy gold as an investment. I've never heard it. It's all these gold dealers and gold bugs who don't have any professional experience in the securities market. None of them do. Zero. Well, well my, the difference gold, in our first attitudes... Gold, uh, I'm sorry. Gold is, uh, not, gold is not a hedge against inflation. That is a complete myth. It is not... The, one of the first things I learned on Wall Street was that gold is a hedge against deflation. That is a fact. Number, number two, hyperinflation is impossible in the U.S. That is a fact. Anyone who states otherwise has no credibility. And the reason behind that is because what I explained earlier, the dollar-oil link. If you have to have the dollar to buy oil and commodities around the world, which you do, then how is a hyperinflation of the dollar possible because hyperinflation means the dollar goes to zero. It's impossible. You understand? So that's, this is the myth that's being – and I've written a lot of articles about the motives and the methods of the manipulation of the gold market. Essentially and – and actually, by the way, I also predicted gold would go to $1,400 at least in my book when it was 600 and I said it may go to 2000 But thereafter, there's no real value for gold. Once the gold bull market runs out of steam, I will guarantee you – it's going to fall back down to three to $400, and it's going to remain there for 15, 20 years or more. And you're going to have um, individuals who have a very high cost basis in gold, and they're going to be waiting till the day that they die for recovery in gold, just like the guys that bought it in 1980. And the inflation-adjusted price for gold, if you bought it in 1980, 1981, is about $2,200. So they're still waiting to break even. So that's the, that, that the critical message is, number one, you don't want to buy gold or any other asset once it's already run up because the risk is increased. You want to buy it once it's low. The higher an asset goes in price, the more risky it is, especially if there's not a stream of income behind that asset. It's not Microsoft, right? There's no cash flows behind gold. It's not used in industry much. Um, the second thing is if you're going to buy something like that, at least make sure it's paying you dividends, right? Why buy gold? Buy oil. There's plenty of oil companies that are paying dividends. You can buy uh, ConocoPhillips, very strong giant. They're paying 5% annual dividends. If the stock falls, you know what? You're still getting those dividends. It will recover. But if gold falls down, you can sit there for 20 years getting nothing, waiting for it to recover, and it may not depending upon where you bought it. So that's that's all I want to say on 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 gold. Right, I'm gold not, manipulators. I'm, just, I'm sorry, I, I'm not disdaining sorry. gold for investment purposes if that is your purpose. But a lot of these Alex Joneses and Republic Radio and these people, they're trying to get people to buy physical gold for the and, and convincing them that they're going to need it if there's a total economic collapse. Right. Well. Well, when right. there are well, other things which course, are much more important to have than gold. Of course, gold is not – gold is really not um, – doesn't really have a foundation of, for investment characteristics. It doesn't. The only thing that gold does in terms of investment-wise for portfolio management and asset management is basically it serves as a temporary protection against rapid large market declines because it has a negative correlation – in other words, typically gold will um, not go down as much as the market 
And that's only because financial institutions kind of pile into it for the short term. But after the panic is over, they get out of gold. So it doesn't have a really an economic value. Even silver has more of an economic value than gold. But Alex Jones, of course, I don't know if I mentioned it on the last program, but Alex Jones banned me from his show. And the reason why is because once he got – he was already scheduled – he scheduled me. I was in 2008. I was the first financial professional he was going to interview. Um, he kept uh, delaying the interview, uh, trying to get through the book, and the investment uh, analysis was towards the end. And once he read that I said, do not buy physical gold because, number one, you're going to get reamed off of the commissions. Number two, gold is very volatile in price. You want to trade the volatility. And uh, uh, so, of course, any you don't hear people recommend to buy the gold ETFs, do you? You know why? Because... If they recommend that to you, they can't make money. You see, it's all about pumping gold in a situation where it creates revenues for the gold dealers because then you're going to get paid by the gold dealers for pumping it, their company, or for selling gold ads. That's, that's, that's what it's all about. Um, you know, Jones and his network and the Republican, these guys, I wouldn't trust any of them. They're, they're all hacks. They're all clowns. Uh, they've all banned me. Um, the American Free Press also banned me because they're gold pumpers. Okay, so I, I want to encourage uh, your listeners to be very, very skeptical of these people out there. My rule is this. If they have exposure, it's for a good reason, and it's not to benefit you. It's to exploit you. I, I would so, agree. I'm sorry. So, yeah, so, so you're exactly right, by the way, Bill. You're exactly right, and I've written this as well. Um, listen, if America were to implode, okay, let's say the Saudis decided to, 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 sell, gold, to sell oil for a basket of other currencies, okay, we'd be in trouble. That's not going to happen, but let's just assume it would happen. First of all, gold does not protect against inflation. Second of all, most importantly, do you actually think gold is going to save your life? <laughs> Let me tell you something. If we were to encounter hyperinflation, okay, people aren't going to care. They're not going to trade you food for gold. So if you're going to buy anything, if you're a doomsday person, you believe all this baloney by all these morons that don't have any credibility, and they're just trying to suck money out of you, if you're going to believe that garbage, let me advise you to do a couple of things. Buy food, buy water, guns, and bullets. But gold is not going to do you one bit of good, Okay. Now, of Absolutely. course, Alex Jones and all these all, all, the, all these other con artists out there, they have that they have that whole angle covered, right? This is why they're they're advertisers. You know, they sell food and all this. This is a bunch of baloney. Okay, anyone who you know, I just want to encourage your listeners to become very familiar with my track record. I think once they do, they're not going to doubt much for what I say. Uh, uh, and I'm telling you right now, uh, gold is not what you want to buy. Now, you may want to bought it, you know, if your cost basis is, is, is $600 or, or less, then, you know, you're, you're, you're in a good situation. But you don't want to be buying gold at $1,500. It's a crazy move. All it benefits is the gold dealers. Remember, gold dealers, they charge you 3 to 5%. Most of them are 5% based upon the price of gold and based upon how much you buy. Think about that for a second. Think about that. That's one transaction. They don't do anything for you. 
It's like an ATM transaction. They're tagging you 5%, okay? And as the price of gold goes higher, they make more money, right? It's, believe me, it's still not too late for any of you who don't have a conscience. If you want to become a millionaire, become a gold dealer, okay? And you'll, you'll, you'll siphon money off of people. <laughs> it's it's, let it's you into the game. They won't let you into the game. Oh, it's, a, it's a con game. Gold dealers, and, and, right. and Bill, I, I want to encourage you, please read the, the Gold Delusions and Dreams, the six-part series. I talk about that there. I talk about how the gold dealers are ripping people off because the gold, there's no regulation in the gold industry because it's not a security. So they can charge whatever they want. You see, this is the big scam is that they, 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 they buy a bunch of ads. Gold line is a perfect example. I'm sure you know, you know about the scam behind Goldline. They're facing criminal charges now, right? They bought off all these guys, Glenn Beck and Mark Levine and all these clowns, all these neo-talk guys, to, to, to pump Goldline, right? Why? Well, Goldline spent millions of dollars to pay these guys. Why? Because once they – it's so much money to them. The commissions are so high, right? But think of this. If gold is such a great investment – if it's going to $10,000 an ounce or $20,000 an ounce, let me ask you something. Why in the hell are they spending millions of dollars on marketing to get you to buy it? Why don't they just keep it? The reason why is because gold can go to $10,000 an ounce if they convince every single sucker out there that the, that the world is going to end, and they buy gold. You see, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's psychological manipulation. Right. And that may do well in the short term as all the sheep. Perfect example, by the way, Bill. I don't know if you read the article that I did on Max Kaiser. Remember that Max Kaiser's J.P. Morgan uh, silver bomb? Remember that garbage yes. that Alex Jones was involved in? Yes. Did you read the article that I wrote on that? No, I'm sad to say I did not. Okay, well, it's a short article. I, I recommend you read it. I think it's, that's unrestricted. People can find that. I wrote an article talking about the manipulation, and, um, and I, I actually, I actually um, mentioned in, in one of my publications that I was selling, because I bought some gold coins several years ago. I was selling my American Eagles, and I put on the chart, I think it was about $49. I said, I'm selling my silver now. And, uh, you know, Max Kaiser was pumping everything. What happened? It goes to $55 now. It's what happened, and it crashes. Why? Because Max Kaiser is telling everybody that it's going to $500. He's guaranteeing people it's going to $500 an ounce. Who's the suckers? You see what I'm saying? Gold dealers don't lose. They cannot lose money because it doesn't matter the price of gold or silver. They're making their commission in and out, right? They're making their 5% when you buy and their 5% when you sell. And you're not going to get the spot price either. They're going to tell you you're going to get the spot, but you're not going to. Right. So you have to, you know, you kind of have to look at, you know, how to, it's kind of like if you go to the, the, the government's um, web, web page, they have advice for investment uh, fraud. One of the questions they say to ask is, you know, how does this person who's saying this stand to benefit, right? Well, look at all these gold pumpers. How do they stand? Of course they stand to benefit because – they're not – and by the way, um, and I've, st- I've written this in public, I challenge anybody who's like one of the, the big spokespersons for gold, I personally will bet Peter Schiff any amount of money that he would like that we're not going to have hyperinflation. Any amount of money, and I'll guarantee you he won't take the bet because these guys don't care to be right. They just want to pr- – they want their salesmen. They just want to give you this perception. 
You see, they're all salesmen. They've all been saying the same thing. Peter Schiff's the gold dealer. All these guys are either gold dealers or they're getting paid under the table or through open disclosure endorsements by gold dealers. So be very careful. And by the way, one last thing, as we discussed uh, on the phone, it's kind of ironic how um, you've got, as, as you know, many of you probably know, the protocols talks about how the Jews are going to control the world economy by amassing all the gold. Well, if you look at who all the gold dealers are and all the gold pumpers are, well, <laughs> almost all of them are Jewish. So, you know, I don't think I'd want to be in that scam because it works, it works both ways, right? In other words, a person can say, well, okay, I'll just ride, the, I'll ride piggyback up the Jew gold bubble. It doesn't necessarily have to work that way. It can also work by scamming Gentiles to buy gold at high prices and then pumping it, blowing it up, and having them stuck with the gold. And then desperately, after 10 years of, 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 of massive losses and needing that money, they have to sell it. You see? They can always because, get another uh, Franklin Roosevelt to confiscate it all. <laughs> there you go. Well, but, They've but, done but, it before. <laughs> the, the fact is, is that the Federal Reserve, the central banks control the price of gold, okay? Um, and so we know who runs the central banks. And now, over, recently, over the past couple of years, the, and, and by the way, that manipulation by the central banks, you hear about these gold bugs talking about how, you know, they always have an excuse why gold isn't going up, right? Oh, well, the central banks, they're manipulating it. And this, let me tell you something. Anyone who doesn't understand that manipulation of gold prices by Wall Street, by the central banks. If they don't understand that's, that's part of the process, that's normal, then they don't know what they're talking about. The manipulation that is unusual um, has been the manipulation of Main Street by the, these uh, gold uh, spokes individuals who are being paid a lot of money by the gold companies. That's the manipulation that people need to worry about. Not the central banks. Central banks have been manipulating gold forever, and they will continue to do so. That's part of the, the gold market. That's, that's normal. So whenever you hear these guys talk about how, oh, well, gosh, you know, gold should be going up. And by the way, why isn't gold rising in price? You've got the collapse of Europe. You've got the U.S. bailing out Europe. You've got printing all this. Why, why is gold not going up? Because it has nothing to do with inflation. That's a fact. If you look at the historical data, it does not – it actually underperforms slightly inflation. So I just wanted to, 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 to you know, put that out there because there's no one else out there stating uh, the truth about gold. I think most of the people don't know the truth, um, and the other people that may know the truth, they don't want to tell you the truth because they're making money selling gold. I don't sell gold. I obviously could have made a lot of money. Um, starting a gold company after I released my book or um, going to the gold dealer and saying, hey, I'll, I'll promo you in my book as a person to buy gold. I didn't do any of that stuff. You know, the same reason why I left Wall Street once I realized they were all criminals. That's why I left. I did not want to be part of that, that criminal industry. I was naive enough to go there not realizing how criminal they were, but, you know, I, I eventually learned. Can you tell people, I mean, America's financial... Apocalypse is is your 2006 book, which predicted the 
global financial meltdown that we recently experienced, right? Can you show, I, I mean, this book, it, it's, I, I wish I'd had the chance to read, to have read it by now, and I haven't. You sent it to me back in December or January, I think, and, and I feel kind of bad about that. But, but this book is surely a, um, a, a good primer, I believe, for anyone who really wants to understand the workings of the financial system. Can you tell people, before we um, terminate the program, can you tell people how they could purchase it? Uh, well, I'll just say, you know, when I when I tried to get the book, by the way, it was banned by all publishers, and uh, so uh, it is available on Amazon. Um, I do believe that the book will be valuable for many, many years because it really uncovers, uh, and it actually is predicted. I was talking in detail about all of these things you're hearing about recently, about the entitlements, about Social Security, all this stuff. So you can't get it on Amazon. Um, uh, you know, uh, you might want to get the condensed version. It is less expensive and it is easier to read. The expanded version was initially created for financial institutions. It's very, very detailed. It's very extensive. Uh, if you want to get that, maybe you'll do it after, but I would recommend the condensed version uh, because you can get through that in maybe a, a couple of days. Um, so, I, you know, I think once you see that, uh, I just basically expose the reality of the criminality of corporate America, of Wall Street, of uh, you know our the mismanagement of Washington, and not just over the past few years, but over decades. And this is the problem: is that these things are going to continue because American people don't understand what is going on. They don't understand the healthcare system. They don't understand that we don't have a democracy. They're fed by the media, and this is the way that you control people: you keep them dumbed down. And so they keep going to the voting booth thinking that you know, their vote counts, when in reality it does not. If people have not woken up by now seeing all of this devastation, nobody in prison for destroying the global economy due to fraud. And by the way, Bill, in that book, America's Financial Apocalypse, in the real estate bubble chapter – and by the way, I'm thinking about releasing that chapter to the public domain. Maybe I will do that to show people how extensive I predicted these things. I actually talked about how the credit rating agencies were rubber stamping these mortgage-backed securities. I literally said right. that they were rubber stamping these things. So, so if I saw it back then, how could others not see it? The fact is, is that they didn't these want bankers to. knew it was going. They knew it was go the bankers knew this stuff was going on. So when you hear the the, the, the talking heads, they they, they want to blame they want to blame the, the politicians, right? The Republicans will come out and blame the Democrats. Say, oh, you released this uh, housing subsidies. That's baloney. And then the, the the Democrats will come out and say. They'll say, oh, well, you know, you had all these people buy the homes. They didn't – listen, it, Wall Street was the problem, okay? had nothing to do with subsidies. These Peter Schiff types of guys come out and say, oh, it's government subsidies. Listen, it's the Wall Street criminals, okay? They're the ones responsible for this. If you stick a carrot under somebody's nose and say, hey, would you like the carrot? What do you think a person's going to say? Of course they're going to – if you oh, say, absolutely. hey, you know what? You don't have a job, you don't have an income, but we can give you a home. Wall I mean, Street what is a normal person going to say? Wall Street is, criminals is that, and criminals is that Main like, Street's fault? No, is that Main Street's not. fault, Bill? Now, it's a it's a character flaw. Everyone's not perfect, but the, but but the facilitator of this whole process was definitely Washington. But the 
the, the, the absolute criminals were Wall Street. They did the same thing in the SNL crisis. They did the same thing in the dot-com bubble. And what happened in the dot-com bubble? No one went to prison. $7 trillion lost. The SNL crisis, at least there were 1,000 criminal indictments, and at least uh, um, Mike Milken, the Jewish raider, at least he went to Club Fed for two years. You know, he got out with half a billion dollars that was stolen. But at least, you know, something happened to him, right? He should have done 40, but yes, he did receive some penalty for that crime, yes. Well, it wasn't really – listen, let me tell you something, Bill. I remember I was, a, I was a youth at the time, and I remember thinking to myself, would I – because at the time, he was supposed to be, go to jail for 10 years. It turned out being two. I remember thinking as a teen to myself, I said, would, would I go to – Jail for ten years for getting five for allowing to to to, to keep five hundred million dollars of, of of stolen money. I said, yeah, I'll do. I'd do that. That money's not his. <laughs> that was not his money. Right. He stole that money. Yes, he and, did. And so, and of course, if you hear about Mike Milken today, he's in the Forbes five hundred. They talk about he's a philanthropist. They don't talk yeah, about right. the yes and crisis, right? He's a medical philanthropist, right? Right. Which, you know, uh, you know I just... It's easy to be a philanthropist thing, with stolen money. <laughs> of course, of course. And that points, by the way, to Steve Forbes. You know, this guy is a complete scumbag. He's, he's, he's part of the reason... He is an epit- the epitome of the greed of the complete garbage of this country. He's a complete scumbag. In my opinion, he's 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 like all the rest of these guys. Well, well, perhaps we can talk about this on another program, and 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 I would yeah. really love to have you back and talk about the IMF and and something else which was interesting that you mentioned in your paper, and that was the um, the Federal Reserve Bank is the sole regulator of the global financial system. Well, which is of course that that well, only, you know you're uh, going to have what it was you're going to have people, and you may you may hold this view. You're always going to have, and, and no one truly knows. You know, it's kind of opinionated. You know, what what qualifies? You're always going to have people that say, "Hey, you know what? The Bank of England runs the show." I had a, a debate with this analyst the other day. I ran into, and he was saying that England is completely inconsequential. And he's there was some kid, 28 year old. He didn't know what he's talking about. He was talking about how England is completely inconsequential, which is which is which is which is more than laughable. Right. Uh, so. You know, I, I, I'm open to um, anyone who would say that England runs a show. No one can prove either way, but I could certainly see that argument. You know, if you if you kind of look at the historical perspective you know, on things. Um, but from what I can see, based upon the fact that the U.S. is the empire, the U.S. has that dollar or link, the U.S. is the center of the globalization scam. I would have to believe that because of our economic power or overall economic power, I would have to believe that the Fed probably runs the show to more extent than, than England these well, days. Well, that's, you know, to me, it, it's my view of it's a little more complicated than that. Basically, the same Jewish banking families that run the Bank of England also are in control of the Federal Reserve. Well, you do know, of course, that most of the shareholders that own the Fed are in Europe. They're the European banks, right? Yes. If you want to see the list, all you have to do is to go back about um, go back to the summer, I believe July of 2008, 
before. It was the first short-selling ban. There were two bans issued. One was in July, and I think one was in August. Um, just go back to the very first short-selling ban that the SEC put out. I think it was about 20 financial institutions. And by the way, most of those financial institutions, did, were, did not have, their stocks were not being shorted. There was no reason for them to be on that list. Okay? But if you go back to that list, that will show you who owns the Fed. And most of those financial institutions are actually in Europe. So the Fed is here. There's a lot of power here. But obviously, you know, it's not just centered in the U.S. And this is why the Fed is bailing out the ECB in Europe, because it's all a collection of international bankers. Well, well, right, absolutely, and I think you know I I like to think that they used um, England for three hundred years, perhaps, to expand their empire, and that was all you know behind the scenes. That was all the Jewish merchants in London who were behind the expansion of the British Empire, and they were the ones that benefited from it the most. And when they well, when they had exhausted the flower of England and and the power of England's man of, of sheer manpower and, and manufacturing, when they exhausted that, they moved their empire to America. And America became the centerpiece of the, their um, overseas conquest and world dominion. And well, you know, next, one it, thing, next it might be China. You know, or that's what they're going you, to attempt, I believe. You've got to hand it to the Jews. When it comes to deceit and sneaky behavior, and uh, they're the masters. They are the, the grand masters of, of they're the grand puppet masters. They have this ability to um, I guess that's why they're the best spies. But the one thing that has escaped me, and of course not every Jew is 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 involved in this. I know some some nice Jewish people who are detached from all of this stuff. Um, the one thing that's just a, a travesty to me is how you know the Jewish people in general they they have some very good attributes as I'm sure you'll agree their their sense of of solidarity and the importance of of things of that you know things that we used to have that they have actually toppled right to weaken us these are very important things uh, they have a very high um, value of, of education right which we used to have in this country we don't really value it anymore so and, and the very, Jews destroyed uh, that in this country too their their media exactly. destroyed that they're, so so they're generally very educated people and so you know i just sit here and think why these people are they're very potentially resourceful very capable why have they why have they chosen this route and not just now but over centuries why when they could, you know, they could have done things and achieved things. And if you look at history, um, the greatest achievements uh, on earth have been through Gentiles. But perhaps there could have been a lot more contributions. I'm not saying that Jews have not contributed. Of course, there have been numerous contributions. Well, well I believe but, I had the answers to all could, of that, but it's a deep philosophical question which we, we would have to dedicate another program to. And, and <laughs> that are on my website in my papers. That's one of the things that I write about. Right? Uh, so what, I tell you, send me some email links to that. I'd, I'd be interested to read that. Because I think, I think it's a, it's, it's a, if I were Jewish, I would think to myself, Why? Why go about things this way? And uh, well, well, we get that we I do get Jews like we've had Bobby Fisher and, and um, that 
that there's that Rosenberg character. There, there have been a lot of Jews that have, um, yeah, you know, questioned, derided, or, or some people call them self-hating Jews that, that have of derided course. their own people for their actions. But, but the bottom line is that the Jews have acted like Jews without a doubt, and, and it's congenital and it's been congenital for thousands of years. It, it's, um, and they're always going yeah. to act. And there are a lot of Jews that are detached, that don't know what's going on, that seem like decent citizens, but they still all gravitate towards the same politics. Right. That's, that's, they that's always the problem do. that I see. When you have – there's numerous Jews I've run into who they've been victimized just as much as everybody else by the Jewish crime syndicate. And when you raise these issues, um, invariably, almost invariably, they will say, well – it's not just the Jewish bankers. It's not just Jewish walls. So they always gravitate, no matter how much they have been exploited by their own people, the last thing they will do is blame the, the Jewish criminality. And that's a troubling thing. That needs to stop. You will find some, but it's very but, rare. Well, I'm afraid and that until, that's never going to stop. I'm sorry. That's, we're always going to have that problem for as long as we have Jews. Well, if that if that's the case, then um, I think that there's going to be a problem for a lot of the innocent Jews in the future because at some point uh, people are going to wake up, and if the if the innocent Jewish people do not denounce, do not stand up and adamantly denounce the criminality of these elites, then they're going to be painted in the same picture because they're they have essentially providing them with a type of a type of, of support and through well, denial. Well, exactly. And, and that's one of the stories of the Jewish race as a whole. They've never done that. And, and that's I have, why I have run across I have run across a couple that that actually, um, but it's rare. It's very well, well, very have, rare. Yes, you have your exceptions, but they're few and far between. Well, when you think about right. the, uh, the the total number. But Mike, it's been a real pleasure having you here tonight, and I look forward to having you um, maybe come talk to us again. Uh, about those topics, the Federal Reserve, the IMF, that would be a wonderful program too, I think. And, Great. And, it's been um, a pleasure. I, I, I will link your book and, and your website to my, my my podcast on Christogenia tonight when I post it. Very good. I appreciate it. It's been uh, great, and I uh, look forward to speaking with you again. And uh, let me know when you, uh, when you get through the book, because I would like to hear, especially the healthcare book as well. So let me know. I know. I understand you're busy. No rush. You know, right. obviously everybody has their own things, but but it's been I, a pleasure, I, and we'll keep in touch. Months and I, I'll be on the road for at least another. So uh, it's going to be a while before I even see the book again. Okay, That's thank fine. you. We'll keep, we'll keep in touch. Thank you. Take care. Okay, this is William Fink, Christogenia.org. This has been Christogenia Saturdays. This has been with Mike Stathis of AVA research.com I, I i believe is is um website is uh, yes avaresearch.com i will be here next friday with luke chapter seven and i will be here next saturday with don spears and i'll be in Clio, alabama praise yahweh good night everybody and thank you for listening <laughs>